to introduce myself. My name is Jennifer West. I am a settler located on the beautiful traditional territories of the Musqueam, Tsleil-Waututh, and Squamish peoples who have been having conversations on these lands since before time was recorded. Um, we're very fortunate at Muse West Concerts to be um, dialoguing today with our very good friend Jonathan Adams, a baritone located in Montreal, uh, Jonathan has Cree Métis background and is just top of top of their game right now for uh, early music singing. And Jonathan, would you like to tell us where are you located today? Where are the lands where you are? Yes, yeah. I'm. I thank you so much for having me, Jennifer. I am in Chochake or Montreal, and um, uh, this is the traditional. Um, territory of the Kanyan Kahaga, the, the Mohawk people, and um, I am, uh, yeah, like you said, Nehia uh, Mechif, Cree Métis, so I'm a guest on this lands, and I, I thank my my hosts uh, for 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 their for their welcome here. Fantastic. Uh, if people aren't aware, uh, Jonathan will be singing a program of music by John Dowland this uh, Friday at 7.30 p.m. And we could not be more excited that the lute player is Lucas Harris from Tafel Music. <laughs> I think Jonathan and I are both very, very um, grateful for Lucas to be joining that concert. And um, the concert will be held at the Bill Reed Art Gallery at 7.30 p.m. And you're going to hear me announce this a couple times during the podcast, depending on when people join. So... Um, we like to start with a rapid round of questions that were not included in what was said to Jonathan, just for fun. <laughs> so you have to answer the first word that comes to mind. Monteverdi or Handel? Monteverdi. Okay. <laughs> uh, Bach or Vivaldi? Oh, Bach. Bach. <laughs> okay. Mozart, Requiem, or Beethoven, Misa Solemnis? Mozart, Requiem. Okay, so that's our rapid round. Now we know oh, well. <laughs> we know Jonathan's tastes. <laughs> One more rapid round question: um, What is your favorite treat after a concert? Could be food or beverage. Oh, gosh, probably a gin and tonic. <laughs> and now we know what we're having on Friday. Yes, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That's a great choice. So, um, Jonathan, you've worked in the Netherlands and Canada, singing and. Um, honing your craft as a singer uh, and can you tell us what were some of your favorite aspects of working in the Netherlands and how is it different working there than in Canada? How is it similar? Mm, yeah, well, I, I moved to the Netherlands eight, nine years ago now to study early music singing at the Conservatorium van Amsterdam. And uh, yeah, it was it was just a amazing experience. Um, I studied uh, with uh, Ksenia Meyer uh, the, in the early music singing program, and then with um, Rosemary Joshua and Olivier Lalouette in the opera um, training program at the uh, at the conservatorium. So it, it was a, a really um, 
as as broad as an early music focused uh, training can be, it was it was a it was quite a wonderful lens to see to acquaint myself with this repertoire um, further. I, I had previously studied with um, some wonderful teachers in in England, including Emma Kirkby, and in Canada, including um, Nancy Argenta. So yeah, moving to the Netherlands was kind of um, a bit of a strategic move because there's so much um, work. Uh, available within the field of early music. Um, so yeah, my, my, um, my life there was both very different and, and similar in some ways to, to what I'm living now in, on Turtle Island, being back in North America. Um, but yeah, the, the, you know, I, I, I worked quite a bit in the Netherlands, but the, the great thing was that I was able to work a lot more actually in Belgium um, some in France, Germany, and, and in other countries. And um, while I was there very early on, I think in my first year um, of moving to uh, Amsterdam, I, I auditioned for and, and was sort of welcomed into this musical family that was Amsterdam Baroque. Um, so that was really wonderful to get to grow as an ensemble singer and yeah, observe um, fantastic orchestral musicians, fantastic um, chamber music happening and be a part of it, but also, you know, meet and hear some fantastic soloists that Ton Koopman um, works with. And so it's, yeah, it was just a, a really um, wonderful way to add to my academic training um, to have this relation. And we, you know, we, we went around the world. We've, we've been to China or I've been to China with them. Um, we've sung in the Chateau de Versailles. We've been all over the place, so it's it it was really a, a fantastic um, uh, thing for me to be a part of. And you know, as I started to um, near the end of my time at the conservatory, I realized that I wanted to work more as a soloist or more as a small ensemble singer. You know, sort of one to a part settings. And um, then I ended up working more, more in Belgium. And that was really exciting to work with groups like Il Gardolino and Bach Plus and um, uh, yeah, some other wonderful ensembles. So it's, um, I, and those relationships continue even though I'm, I'm uh, based in Montreal now. Um, so yeah, it, it feels like I have one foot sort of in the European scene and one, one foot over here. And uh, yeah, it's for the moment that's, that's a, a happy place to be. That's best of both worlds. <laughs> mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And yeah. I have to ask, because when I went to Amsterdam in 2016, and I think Aisha is listening to us. Aisha, you were my amazing host in 2016. <laughs> Hi, Aisha. We both miss you. Uh, and one thing that was so obvious to me was early music is huge in Les Pays-Bas, um, all the low countries, Belgium, uh, Holland, Germany, how has early music become such a strong tradition, particularly Belgium and the Netherlands? Well, I think it, it comes down to certain uh, performers and scholars who, you know, from the, basically from the 70s on, but it, of course the movement has its roots even um, much further back than that in the 20th century, but um, teachers like Gustav Leonhardt, um, um, the, the Kauken family, um, 
uh, I mean, in uh, across Europe, there were many different uh, early music pioneers who uh, um, uh, revived a repertoire through um, the lens of um, really rigorous um, um, academic study, but also also just I think experimentation, you know, putting into practice uh, what how they interpreted um, these treatises or these these uh, resources that we um, many of us are now familiar with or, or that are baked into these early music training programs uh, like in Amsterdam. Um, it, it's wonderful to um, be able to interpret them now know after all of the work that our sort of predecessors and teachers and um, sort of mini gods within early music have, uh, have, have you know, interpreted them and, and put their own stamp on them. And yes, that can also be a sort of limiting, I suppose, um, because uh, there, are, there are many things that are, are, feel rather hard and, and fast about uh, interpreting certain, especially with, with uh, specific repertoires, but, um, but basically it's just like a huge gift because we're, we're able to, um, sorry, this is not exactly answering the question, but I think I just wanted to articulate how grateful I am to, you know, some of my teachers, especially um, uh, my teachers of a, of a generation um, like, like Nancy and uh, Argenta and Emma Kirkby, because they, they um, really pioneered an approach to singing um, that, uh, and then, and then, you know, refined it to such a, a, a point. And, and it's such a constant inspiration for me. Um, and just, just that relational, um, that, or the, the relationship that we built, um, or that I built with both of those teachers and performers, that I uh, came to learn is a huge part of how um, we can be authentic in our approach to learning early music is, is having a really mentor-mentee relationship and growing through an observed approach to, to this repertoire. And um, yeah, so uh, when it comes to um, the Low Countries uh, specifically, um, the conservatories in Brussels and Amsterdam and The Hague are really important. And, and you know, many, many wonderful um, um, Canadian performers uh, in early music have gone through these schools out, and of course in Basel too, but that's a, a different region and a different school in some ways. But um, yeah, it, it's, uh, it's just, it's amazing to, I, I got to perform when I was a student with Sigiswald Kauken, um, the amazing violinist and, and conductor and um, yeah, getting to know um, the history of early music performance uh, through recordings and then also through um, my lived experience has just been, yeah, I, I feel very like deeply embedded within the world of early music in, specifically in that scene. And then also, um, yeah, again, just so grateful that, that we have this richness of, um, of different approaches. And that's kind of what can help an artist come to their complete sort of vision about mm. what they want to do, for sure. Yeah. Um, my next question is, with 
there be any advice you would give aspiring young indigenous musicians who want to pursue classical music or early music? Well, I think I, I, first I, I would give anybody the advice that um, I, I really um, believe in, uh, like I, I just alluded to the relationship model of learning how to um, interpret uh, sources and, and early music. Um, so I think to anybody wanting to study early music, it's, it's like do a lot of listening, a lot of your own research and uh, figure out who, who on an aesthetic level and of course through, through their reputation and, and it's useful to talk to other students, but find out whose um, approach resonates with you. Um, and, and I think that's kind of the most important advice I could give because um, the, the, your teacher's approach will not be your approach, but they are, they are the, um, your guides. You know, it's like um, uh, going into a new, a new territory. You know, we, I have to trust my um, Kanyan Kahaga um, hosts here now that I'm living in Montreal and it's a new place for me and uh, diving into a repertoire that's three, four, 500 years old. Um, you really have to, um, uh, I, th I think it's just amazing to see it through somebody else's eyes and through their voice and through their, their lived experience and stories. Um, and yeah, so, so I just think that that's more than a school, more than, yeah, more than, more than a place necessarily. I think it's about the person. Um, and, and then to, to bring, bring it back to your question specifically about indigenous young people wanting to go into early music, I think it, it makes total sense. Maybe, maybe to some listeners, um, you know, they might ask themselves, why, why, are, why would Indigenous people be interested in performing um, early music? And it's, it's given me this uh, training that I've had, it's given me a, a lens into the past. So storytelling, in indigenous community and indigenous culture is very important. And being able to tell stories, not only from the present, or from our own lived experience, but, but um, that illuminates a sort of continuum of experience um, with our ancestors and transestors. I think that's really, really powerful. And of course, um, those skills, those, um, ways of storytelling but those ways of knowing indeed are are baked into community you know this is something that's been preserved and is um uh do doesn't need to be replaced by a european mode of um of interpreting music or storytelling but i think having um reconnecting as an adult with um indigenous modes of storytelling and in indigenous ways of knowing and then intersecting um, through my art with my sort of historical performance praxis. Um, and those methods of storytelling has been really powerful for me. So although I'm always like the first one to just, I guess say to young indigenous folks, like get to know your own stories, you know, like, really invest time and energy in, you know, speaking with elders, with, um, 
with uh, song bearers spending time with in community. Um, it can also be really interesting to contextualize our stories that are, you know, possibly very old and, and hold a lot of um, life, a lot of generations within them, um, within the lifespan of uh, European musics on Turtle Island. So that, that can be a really um, hard, sometimes painful, and, and, but also really ultimately illuminating uh, way to view our musics. And um, yeah, so I, I would, I, I just want to say if there is, are any, but any Indigenous, uh, you know, listeners who uh, want to get into this field or, or are interested in telling, you know, historical, uh, historically informed stories, um, I, I'm here, I'm a resource. So, so just contact me and, uh, and, and I'll be a part of, I'd love to be part of that, um, that journey. That's, that's wonderful. And that, that kind of answered my next question about um, how Indigenous identity sort of can be in a way reconciled with or reckoned with singing works like the Messiah, which have these themes of church and Bible, both of which institutions have done trauma to Indigenous people on Turtle Island and around the world. Um, and I think what's really amazing is your creativity is like reclaiming a certain space. Like you have Handel, you have Bach, they're sacred music, um, but you're going to sing them and like create space to reimagine what those mean in a new, in a new context. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's it, absolutely. And I, I think, um, you know, growing up, uh, I, I was adopted at birth by a white settler family, uh, both me and my brother. And um, uh, so to grow up in a uh, religious context, uh, my parents uh, were members of a Lutheran church um, growing up. And so get to, getting to know um, the material that I'm now working with, um, just from a... Um, getting to know the liturgy, getting to know uh, the Bible, getting to know um, the ways in which um, a bit later on uh, Bach's work, for example, was um, used within a service and, and also the place within um, his community that his, uh, his works held, uh, I, I think uh, was, it was just very interesting. And I feel like I have a deep connection to it from an early age through through that experience. But then um, knowing that, of course, my ancestors uh, are, you know, um, uh, indigenous uh, ancestors and transcestors uh, also sang this music, you know, uh, or played this music. Um, the project that I'm working on uh, now with Susie Knapper and Les Bois Men is uh, about tracing the uh, migration, the tracing the lines of, of migration from France through uh, Acadia, New France, um, and uh, the developing colonies in the 17th century, all the way to the 19th century and the Red River um, settlements uh, and, and into the Métis homeland. So we're, we're looking at uh, 
a moment in history through an Indigenous body of work where, for example, um, in the mid-17th century, uh, we know that there were uh, a, a consort of vials in residence at, in residence at the um, uh, Ursuline convent um, in uh, Quebec City. And so to, to know that there were many Indigenous uh, students, of course, the, the one that I, I've spoken about before and that is most well known is uh, the case of uh, Agnes Chablikucic and her uh, mastery of the vial. Um, and so we, we've combined it with, in this program, Air de Cour, early Air de Cour and um, Métis songs from Lynn Whidden's collection, Visiting Was the Métis Way, to stitch together um, a, 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 a image, a, sort of a sound world of um, indigenous folks singing and uh, playing this music um, in, the in the 17th century in what's now called Canada. So yeah, that's, I mean, these projects and that um, intersection of my identities is, is very, um, it's fulfilling to get to do that work, for sure. Um, will you be taking that on tour? Yes, yes. We're our, our next stop uh, with Rossignol Sauvage. Um, that's the program's title is um, in Whitehorse. Um, uh, so, so we'll be cool. there um, at the very beginning of March. And I think, uh, um, yeah, perhaps I can I can forward you a link to it uh, to put in the podcast description. But it's um, yes. yeah. Uh, yeah, and then and, and over the next uh, year, um, as as things reopen and as as audiences can come live, there'll be more opportunities to see us um, in person. That's fantastic, and that sounds like a wonderful project. And we'll definitely link people up to that. And this is a great time to remind people that Jonathan will be performing with lutenist Lucas Harris from Tafel Music. Uh, Jonathan will come to us from Montreal and Lucas from Toronto, and that will be on Friday, February 11th at 7.30 p.m. at the Bill Reed Art Gallery. That's my dad's birthday, but he won't be able to be there. <laughs> but we'll send, Amazing. Happy we'll birthday, send Dad. Yeah. yeah, happy birthday, Dad. Um, can you tell us what is something that makes John Dowland's music unique? What is our audience in for on Friday? Because when I think Dowland, I think Queen Elizabeth the First. I think some Tudor drama. I think like Queen Mary Queen of Scots drama. Secret love songs being passed and played by the lute. Am I off, or is it pretty close? <laughs> I think that's that's the world uh, in many ways in which um, Dowland wrote his songs. I, I think you know what we're looking at with the the program. Uh, entitled In Darkness um, is, are, are some of Dowland's more intimate songs. Um, there, there's one uh, spiritual song in this trembling shadow cast. Um, and th that's an amazing piece. When I, when I think about Dowland's um, writing, I, I think about a level of text setting that is echoed with English composers like Purcell and basically like Benjamin Britten. And then I, I think that's sort of the, the, the top tier of, of, of text setting uh, English composers. And, and I think um, 
Dallin's uh, work is both very raw, immediate, very refined also, but um, our program that we've crafted uh, for In Darkness is, are some of my favorite pieces and probably because they um, explore themes of, of doubt and, and of, of faith. But, and having said, you know, only one song is, is uh, technically a spiritual song or a sacred, a devotional song rather. Um, the other songs are all secular and they are, um, yeah, I, I think they're, they're very intimate um, paintings, uh, little like sort of illuminated manuscripts of, of, um, of suffering in some way. And so this is a rather dark um, program, but I, the reason I wanted to focus on these um, themes and, and on the slightly heavier um, end of his repertoire was be because he has very many light songs as well. Lots of lots of sort of um, um, equally well set and and equally inspiring, um, uplifting and and silly tunes. But he um, yeah he had such a talent for mining like the very depths of human experience. And I think we have been through the depths of human experience in some ways during this pandemic. Many of us in different ways. And so I thought maybe it's a chance to focus in on that um, weight, on that heaviness, on those deep colors through music um, and, and really give it, give it a sort of focal point because I think some of, some of the um, way in which we all process grief and, um, angst, suffering, and uh, is, 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 is through communal, um, uh, sort of communal experiences. And although we can, you know, some of us can only be there on, online or watching online, um, we, we do have a live audience as well in the gallery uh, with us. And one, it's wonderful. And I, yeah, I just wanted sure to- do. <laughs> uh, yes, I wanted to craft that. Uh, that experience, which is sort of a heavy one, but I think one that will ultimately, at the end of the evening, once we've all been through this sort of corridor of um, Jalen's um, expressions of longing, grief, sorrow, um, that we'll, we'll all be lightened somehow. Because I think in order to, to process these really heavy moments, it's, yeah, we have to do it together. And, and perhaps we even have to face some of those, uh, some of those things that have been hardest to deal with um, during this, this dark time. So what you're saying is that the box of Kleenex I hid because it looked bad in the background, I should be bringing that for some cathartic relief. <laughs> yes, yeah, I think I think it can be that. I think art making for sure can be that. I mean, um, yeah, when, when, when we hear certain works and I think Dowland's songs, even if some of the audience isn't super familiar with them, um, they hold this sort of, um, Oh, I don't know, like talismanic ability to be both a, a, a prism for, for hope and for inspiration, but also like a, an anchor in some ways to the fact that, you know, these songs were written, um, you know, a long time ago and that human experience, we, we're both um, uh, experiencing the same things and very different things. 
but basically they, they kind of make us feel the same way in, in um, regardless of the context. I mean, I, I think uh, um, that's how I see Dylan's songs. And, and perhaps it's because I've been singing them for so long since I was a teenager. I, I sort of started um, uh, singing Dylan when I was maybe 14 or 15. And um, yeah, so the, the musical language, the text itself, um, and uh, the, the sound world um, feels very indeed cathartic to me and, and also just very alive. Um, so so there's, there's, um, there's a lot and, and it's not all super gloomy. A lot of the pieces, uh, the solo lute pieces Lucas will be playing are, are lighter and, and we've sort of um, programmed it like a meal to have moments uh, to cleanse the palate and, and moments to really dig in. So. Well, I'm hoping the encore is come again, sweet love doth now invite <laughs> <laughs> to to leave us with such hope. But I really feel like this program is so well designed and um, the people who are going to watch the concert online are going to get a PDF of the of the lyrics uh, or the text and the people at the gallery are also going to have the text. And this text is still so relevant today. Did Dowland write these texts, or did he set them from different poets? Some are set by different poets, some are anonymous, and I, I believe he did set some of his own texts, but I, I think that's harder to, um, I can't, it, one doesn't come to mind, I have the books right here, and I'm, um, I think some of them uh, are, um, are, are of his own, of his own written material, so yeah, the, I mean, they're, even within the Sort of affect that we're we're um, looking at and, and diving deep into the the texts are, are very um, varied um, that we're presenting so songs of sort of loss in a hyper personal way visions of nature memory so there, there's many different themes uh, for listeners to 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 grapple with and and I think uh, um, yeah I'm just really excited to to get to dig into these works, both old and new, uh, because there are some new commissions um, uh, on this program to, to specifically to resettings or new settings of um, Dellen's uh, songs, Flow My Tears, one of his probably his most famous piece and In Darkness Let Me Dwell. Um, so these, um, Flow My Tears is, is now reimagined by uh, Maurice Duberger and um, In Darkness Let Me Dwell has been uh, sort of re reformed, reshaped by um, Jesse Plessy. And th that's such a wonderful um, gift that um, the Queer Arts Festival has enabled us to um, commission these um, two wonderful young queer uh, composers um, to look at their, their relationship to Dallin, their relationship to these texts in a hyper-personal way and through their, you know, very different uh, to Dowland, the very different um, harmonic language. Uh, so those will be little um, gems on the program that I'm looking forward to, to singing. We are very grateful that um, this project is, this concert project is a collaboration with some gallery and queer arts festival mark if you're listening it's been such a pleasure <laughs> really looking forward to friday 
and I think that we're just really happy to see how everything is coming together for this show on Friday. There are a handful of tickets left, and I pretty much mean this many hands, just two hands left. So folks, please, uh, if you're interested in being in our live audience, or if you prefer to stay safe at home uh, and receive the digital recording of the concert about a week and a half later, uh, that is also possible. And if you're not in Vancouver, you can also receive the concert digitally. I have a few more fun questions to ask. You have performed a lot of Bach's music. Why do Bach's works speak to you? Or what about Bach speaks to you? I also grew up Lutheran. <laughs> so, you know, October 31st was always a pretty big day for Bach at church. <laughs> Reformation Sunday. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, tell me, what is it about Papa Bach for you? Because every musician has a different answer for this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, well, and, and it's, it's an interesting uh, thing. You brought up the, the Lutheran aspect. Like, I'm not, I'm not a religious person. I've sort of since left uh, that... Um, um, my my parents, uh, I think, actually, basically, the whole family sort of sort of evolved or not evolved, but um, uh, our, our our relationship to faith has has changed as as it does for everyone throughout their life. And for me, yeah, learning pretty early on through some of the chorales in church, and and then as I got older uh, through through his solo uh, vocal works, um, learning about Bach's synthesis, the mastery of harmony, text painting, uh, and sort of texture, I suppose, um, the different resonances, all of the symbolic meaning within uh, sort of the architecture and, yeah, of his pieces, I, I, it's hard to, it's hard to sum up why, why I love it so much. Um, and I sing a lot of box music. I mean, I guess the first thing that comes to mind is trust or like some type of a release, um, because I, I think there are there are musics out there. There are there is certain type of music, and I you know where I feel like I have to work really hard to um, sort of be a part of it. Um, sometimes it's because it it energetically sort of keeps you out or or um, because um, it's inaccessibly hard for me or, or because I'm, I don't resonate with the, the sort of sound world or the, the language of the composer. But with Bach, it was such an easy fit. Um, I was so satisfied by, yeah, his sort of um, harmonic grammar, his, his, um, the texts that he set. Um, and yeah, the, getting to sing so many of his works over the last 10 years, um, some of them many, many times, like the Matthew Passion or um, some, some cantatas uh, that, are, that, are, that I've had the pleasure to revisit. It's uh, my relationship to, to Bach uh, biographically and to the world that he lived in. Um, although I, I, I knew a lot about um, his life and about the historical climate in which he was writing, um, it's it's become more more personal. And so finding those personal resonances and the ways in which I can tell personal stories as as a as a recreator, as an interpreter of of existing music, is is 
is one of the ways in which I mean that I feel really part of it, really part of the music, welcomed into the music. It doesn't, it's not sort of exclusionary. And maybe that's surprising to some people because it, it's difficult music. It requires like a lot of time, investment, um, research, and uh, yeah, I mean, just sort of in some way grit to just like um, unlock this uh, Sudoku puzzle of, um, of, of uh, many different musical factors. But when I, when I sing it, I, I feel like just really like a part of the mechanism, part of the, the clock or part of the, this, uh, this um, experience of uh, both challenging, uh, affirming and, um, and uh, yeah, sort of playing with concepts like faith uh, love, devotion, um, and and uh, yeah, I, I mean, getting to revisit. Um, I guess the next time I sing Bach is probably with uh, two of two ensembles that I, I really love, uh, L'Harmonie des Saisons, uh, with Eric Milnes and Melisande Corrigo. We do uh, uh, Johannes Passion um, in the spring, and and also with uh, Tafel music, um, I go to sing. Um, the B minor mass and Masaki Suzuki will be conducting that. So it's, yeah, those are two like very uh, resonant dear pieces to me and, and uh, it's exciting. It's exciting to get to um, visit them again on this side of the pond uh, with different ensembles and, and with a, a different approach. That's, that's fantastic. Which was the piece you're going to be performing with L'Harmonie des Saisons? The Johannes Passion, the St. John Passion. St. John um, Passion, yes. And as well as, I think, some cantatas um, in Montreal coming up. So, yeah, it's just, and it's such a pleasure to, to work with those amazing musicians and, and, uh, and yeah, revisit this amazing repertoire. And a, a wonderful warm bonjour to Eric and Melisande, <laughs> who we're going to listen after. I think I'll, I'll send them this podcast for sure. My final question, well, I kind of had two. Mm -hmm. um, do you approach an opera role and an oratorial role differently from a preparation standpoint? And do you have any favorite oratorial roles that you like oh, to sing? I don't approach them differently in I, I, um, musically or in the way that I prepare the text or in sort of, sort of how do I say this, psychologically. Um, I, I do have to prepare them very different physically, of course, because uh, you know a concert um, platform and standing still and embodying a character is very different than becoming a character physically. And and actually, um, so yeah, I think the approaches are are both uh, they they they're the same until a certain point, and then they diverge uh, quite drastically for me. Uh, yeah, for, as far as oratorios that I love to sing, I, I, I um, in my early 20s, uh, late teens and early 20s, when I first started studying with Nancy Argenta, I went to her summer program um, in Victoria that, um, and, and we got to look at a lot of uh, Handel oratorios and uh, it made me fall in love with those um, really dramatic um, depictions of, of biblical stories. So one that I haven't sung and that I would love to sing is uh, Saul from Handel's Oratorio Saul. It's a really um, complicated and, and interesting character and um, yeah, just wonderful music. 
Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I get to sing the Messiah pretty often. I feel super lucky to get to, to, to have a long relationship with that piece. And um, I suppose another one that, that I really would love to look at again is, would be um, Theodora by Handel. Um, but I mean, that's just, that's uh, overlooking so much other great uh, rep from, from uh, you know, Carissimi to, to, yes. uh, to, of course, much later oratorios that, I, you know, are, are super juicy. And so. <laughs> <laughs> Theodora is a great piece, actually. Yeah, it's so wonderful. Yeah. That's yeah. cool. Mm -hmm. Jonathan, I want to thank you so much for joining us today for this conversation. I, I know a lot of people... Uh, we're looking forward to hearing about early music and um, your approach to singing. And um, I would just like to say I've had the pleasure of singing for you. And you've always created such a warm, welcoming, loving space for a new singer. <laughs> so when Jonathan made uh, the offer to be a mentor earlier, friends, please take them up on that because... <laughs> Jonathan is so welcoming and um, just gives great feedback. So I, I'm very grateful that I've been able to sing for you and uh, hope I can do that again soon once, once report card season is over. Yes, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we all wish you safe, safe flight uh, later this week. And we're really looking forward to this concert, which again, if you're tuning in late, here's the details. This Friday, uh, not November, we are in a new year now, February 11th, <laughs> 2022, <laughs> even though I've written 2021 a few times on paper these days, uh, 7.30 p.m. at the Bill Reed Art Gallery. And just a reminder that um, we are very grateful to Tom Lee Music for this fancy microphone here. And editing audio today is Stefano. He's going to give everybody a wave, but they won't be able to see it. <laughs> He's waving. People can't see it. <laughs> and my name is Jennifer West. I am the host of this podcast, Take Note, and the Artistic Director of Muse West Concerts. And our final thank you is to the Conseil des Arts du Canada, the terrific, fantastic Canada Council for the Arts, who is supporting artists. Admare Uske Admaram. So thank you to the Canada Council. And thank you, Jonathan. And uh, everybody have a great day. Lust.